Welcome to Everyday Holiness, a Faith in D podcast brought to you by the Notre Dame Alumni Association. This is again Dan Allen, the Spirituality Program Director here at the Alumni Association. My guest this week is Joe Crowley, a senior here at Notre Dame, and we're going to get to know Joe, his experience here on campus, and what might be next for him in life. So welcome to the podcast, Joe. Thank you, Dan. So let's just begin by introducing yourself to your audience. Who are you and where do you come from? Yeah, definitely. Hey, folks, my name is Joe Crowley. As Dan said, I'm a senior here at Notre Dame. I'm an English and political science double major, uh, originally from Lansing, Michigan, just about a two and a half, three hour drive north of here. I'm also a campus ministry intern on campus and doing lots of fun things. Great. Now, tell me a little bit about your family. Where did you where did you come from? Any siblings, anything like that? Yeah, definitely. So I come from a wonderful family of uh, my wonderful parents, John and Karen. And uh, there are three of us, three siblings. So I'm the oldest. And then my younger sister, Meg, she's currently a sophomore at University of Michigan. And then I've got a younger brother, Thomas, and he is a senior in high school, uh, still figuring out where he's going to go, but he thinks he's also going to go to U of M. It's okay. I won't hold it against <laughs> him. Um, but yeah, that's great. and they're, they're just awesome. That's great. What was your practice of faith like growing up? In your home. Yeah, definitely. So my parents are both very faithful people. And so I would say growing up, faith was a staple of our household. Uh, We actually lived in a small house across the street from the parish and the school that I went to growing up, which was just a wonderful, wonderful integration of uh, the faith life to the home. I mean, it was very, very clear to all of us that uh, we needed to wake up early enough on Sunday to go uh, go to Mass at 7.30 a.m. That okay. was my mom's favorite okay. to go to. <laughs> and I remember being brought into parish life gradually and how significant that was for my faith life. You know, I would say it's really difficult for uh, young people to really grasp the significance of God and what, you know, what all of that is. And so I think that the parish is such a beautiful witness and a lived out expression of that. And I was welcomed by my parish, uh, very beloved by many of the people there. Uh, And so when I was in fourth grade, I started altar serving, uh, which was awesome. The way that I saw it, I got a little more to do during mass, which was great. (laughs) Um, And yeah, never a dull moment on the altar uh, serving, always always have to be attentive to all of those smaller details. And I think that it was a wonderful introduction to parish ministry for me. And then later on, when I was in eighth grade, I was uh, approached by one of the members of the Praise and Worship Band at my at my parish, mm-hmm. and they said, hey, Joe, uh, we're in need of another pianist. You think you might join us? Now, by this point, I had been playing piano for a couple years, and I credit my piano teacher, Megan Nyquist, a lot with the work that she, the, uh, the ways in which she pushed me to be better and to grow very quickly because I started rather late. I started in sixth grade, but I, I'd say I was, I was pretty good by then, and I was getting better. And so I saw this as, originally saw it as an opportunity to take something that I loved doing. Um, my mom never had to ask me to practice, which was an awesome thing. So I love the piano. And it was a way for me to share those gifts with the parish community. And even if I didn't realize it back then, I thought of it more as, oh, this is a cool opportunity for me to do something I really like during mass in addition to, and something a little more specialized. But over time, as I began to expand into the role of being an accompanist and eventually the uh, director of that particular ensemble, 
ensemble during high school. It was just particularly formative for me, both in the context of working with the other members of the parish, working in collaboration with a pastor and with uh, the priest on the music. Of course, we always want the music to reinforce the messages that the priests are that our parish, our parish leadership is putting together mm-hmm. for our uh, parish community. And so just becoming a very dynamic member of the parish in that way, I think I gradually grew to embrace that role. And my parents were very, very supportive all the way through. Um, I remember when they would drive me to the church relatively early in the morning to get there in time to set up. I also remember them driving me there for organ lessons and other things. And so just just the ways in which my parents supported me, they would always come to the masses that I was accompanying. It, it just gave me a really, really great model for expanding my faith into and living it out in this particular way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Besides your parents, were there other people who were really strong examples of faith or holiness to you as you were growing up? So one of the one of the other examples of holiness that I can think of in my life growing up is this uh, wonderful woman named Kate Kent. Uh, she was one of the other accompanists at the parish with me at Resurrection Parish. Uh, she was an or- she's an organist and Kay is just a wonderful friend of mine. I mean, she's she's. I kind of think of her as a grandmother mm-hmm. to me because my uh, both my sets of grandparents passed away when I was relatively young, and so I, I would say that uh, Kate Kent just she has been a phenomenal witness for me in my life of what faith in action looks like. I mean, she's always someone who's always looking for how she can how she can help someone else out, how she can be there for her grandkids. She actually lives a street over from me, a block <laughs> over. And so it's wonderful because anytime I go home, I know that I can go over and talk to her about things like music. I love my parents very much, but they're not uh, musically inclined necessarily. Whereas uh, Kate Kent, she's a talented pianist and a talented accompanist. And I think that her uh, philosophy of music also lines up very well with mine. Uh, I think of accompaniment as really, really that word accompaniment as being very appropriate for a pianist or an organist, for a congregation, because you're very literally walking with the congregation through their worship, through connecting them with God. Like that is, that's how I see it. That's your job. Mm -hmm. And also the call that we've got. And so uh, just being able to talk with her about that, talk with her about the ways in which we can give back. I know that I have felt blessed in that in middle school, I had another uh, example of witness to holiness in my life, uh, Mrs. Laban, Mrs. Diane Laban. She was the one who first encouraged me to take up theater. Hmm. When I was in sixth grade, I was absolutely terrified. Um <laughs> At home the day before the auditions, I was I, I remember very distinctively being in the living room and saying, I to my mom, I am not going to go to auditions. And then my mom said, Yes, you are. You know that you want to do it. Just mm-hmm. give it a shot. Just go to that I- initial day. Sure. And so I did. And there was my my theater director, Diane Laban, was there and she was she just welcomed me in, in such in such an inviting way to the art form that is theater and all the different capacities. I was very early on I was given a role of a student directorship. And that was a phenomenal experience in which I saw someone putting trust in me Mm -hmm. and uh, giving me a lot of responsibility. And so I was able to use that to really propel forward my understanding and to really make a difference. And so 
with that kind of knowledge that I gained of theater over time. In eighth grade, I started a theater company, actually, a theater Mm. Uh summer program, uh, which I would never have even known that I was going to do mm-hmm. up until up until the point where it kind of happened. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, theater, when you're directing, it's a collaborative process with so many other uh, important individuals. And I think when I look at the role that Diane Laban played in that for me and really guiding me there towards giving me the skills, she didn't necessarily know how they were going to be applied in the future. I don't even know if she could have estimated the impact she was going to have. Mm-hmm. But I think that's one of the most beautiful things about a call to holiness is that when we share parts of our lives with other people, when we really develop and invest in them, they go on and do amazing things. And I've seen my own students over time do that. I've seen them take their skills and apply them in as they've gotten older, as they've uh, gotten into high school and even more advanced productions. I've seen them taking leadership positions. I've seen them wanting to use their skills to help out. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that's absolutely beautiful and something that I can attest to in my own life and in the life of those I've seen. Yeah. It reminds me of St. John Paul II, that he was so involved in theater and music, that theater, music, even you talked about altar serving, there's all these elements of, of our human life that when infused into the liturgy that make it this very intimate experience and mm-hmm. this very moving experience, it seems like you got to see a lot of examples of that through your experiences as a young person. Yeah, I definitely, I, I've been blessed to see so many examples of that and just the richness of life that that cultivates. Music is just one of the ways in which I think we can connect with God best because I think it's something that, it's one of the few things in this world that's unable to be described fully by words. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really profound. And just the way in which the way in which people unite around music. You know, over this past break, I was blessed to go with the Center for Ethics and Culture here on campus at Notre Dame. Uh, we went on a wonderful pilgrimage to Israel, which was phenomenal. And the particular uh, coordinating coordinating agency that was through, there were a couple of other universities that were there as well. And those particular campus ministry groups were more Protestant-based. Mm-hmm. But what was really cool, I thought, was that there was this wonderful worship night mm-hmm. on Wednesday where different uh, members of the different colleges were able to come together and collaborate on creating the music for that particular event. Mm. And I thought to myself, wow, this is worship because we are all coming here and giving of our gifts. And no, we don't all believe exactly the same thing, Mm -hmm. but we agree on enough. We agree that there is a God. We agree that Jesus is real and working in our lives and that somehow we can integrate music into as a conduit for our expressing our love for Christ and for really coming to a deeper understanding of what exactly that call looks like. Mm -hmm. So that was just profound to me in a way like that, the significance of coming together, a group of people who wouldn't necessarily necessarily run into each other normally and being able to use music as a gathering. Yeah, kind of a a beautiful ecumenical experience. Yeah, ecumenical experience, yeah. What about the decision to come to Notre Dame? Tell us how that came about for you. Yeah, definitely. So I think this brings to mind another another witness to holiness in my life, Dr. Frank Bernier. Dr. Bernier was this wonderful college advisor at my high school. I went to Lansing Catholic High School. And I remember my uh, freshman year, he just came into all the classrooms and very specifically said, okay, if in order to plan correctly for college, we've got to do these things. Uh, we've got to we've got to fill out uh, fill out these these forms make a ba- make a basic resume just start planning now was essentially his message and for me that was very significant because 
my parents didn't necessarily know how to navigate the college application process. Uh, and so having someone like Dr. Bernier, who I could rely on in order to help me out with that process and knowing like what the next step was, whether that was uh, taking practice tests or going on and taking the ACT and then eventually like figuring out where I wanted to apply to go to college. That was just so significant. And he was the one who mentioned Notre Dame to me. He just thought that it would be a really good fit for me. And of course, by that point, Dr. Bernier and I had had several conversations. He really took the time to invest in me in terms of telling me all of this knowledge and all of all of these different considerations to make when looking for a college. And so when I started looking at Notre Dame initially online, I thought Notre Dame, definitely, it was Catholic. And I was wondering what that looked like. Because, of course, Lansing, Michigan, we have MSU there, mm-hmm. uh, Michigan State. And we have U of M in the state as well and other other colleges. But I can't really think of a Catholic university nearby. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it was really significant for me. I thought, wow, Notre Dame is a very, it's a very highly advanced university. Of course, the statistics and everything, like people here are doing good work. Sure. And... Not only not only good work that academia values, but also good work that's valued by our church and work that uh, work that furthers our mission and our calling, really. And so I gradually came to realize that as I came here for a campus visit. I kind of look back on it as a good omen because every other campus visit that I went to, the weather was terrible, <laughs> whether it was raining or hailing or whatever it happened to be. Uh, but the day that we came to Notre Dame, it was actually a day uh, much like today, actually. It's blue skies, just beautiful. The sun's shining down. Yeah. I think somewhat of a rarity, somewhat of a rarity. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I guess they rolled out the red carpet. Right. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I, I really remember I came to realize on that visit, I just got a, got a glimpse. That was the, that was the summer of my junior year going into senior year of high school. And I just got a glimpse of what Notre Dame might be about. And where I really came to know Notre Dame better was actually through a visit that I made on the spring visit weekend. That was my senior year in February. It was cold. It was the opposite of that bright, (laughs) sunny day. Uh, It was actually uh, quasi-blizzard. If you remember back 2015, the Midwest was getting hit by quite a bit of snow. Mm -hmm, And so I remember coming on campus and thinking, wow, I knew that these buildings were not that well differentiated in terms of like the name is only on one side and under snow, they kind of look very, very <laughs> similar. And so navigating around campus was particularly difficult just in the first couple hours of arriving. I remember I moved in with the student that I was uh, making my stay with and uh, who was hosting me for that weekend. And I remember that we needed, our group needed to meet at South Dining Hall at 5 p.m. Now, I did not know where South Dining Hall was. For reference, I was staying in uh, Siegfried Hall, which is kind of across <laughs> campus from right. South, uh, at least a significant distance. And so I remember walking outside. It was between classes, and so no one was walking around. I mean, it was snowing heavily. And so I just didn't know where to go. I felt very lost for a minute. And so I just looked around and started, decided to start walking. So I started walking in some direction. I think it was roughly towards the Golden Dome. I could make out where that was. Mm-hmm. And I ran into a student along the way uh, after a couple minutes. And I said, hey, could you point me in the direction of South Dining Hall? And he stopped and he said, no, I'll walk there with you. Hmm. 
which I thought was really significant. And I remember very, very little about the student that I talked to that day, my uh, guide to South Dining Hall. I remember two things about him. One was that he's an en- he was an engineering student. And the second was that he lived in Knott Hall. Mm-hmm. And if you know anything about <laughs> campus geography, he was actually very, very close to being at home wow. if he was going back to his dorm. But he took the time to walk clear across campus with me and just make sure that I was getting to the right place. And I think that that sense of hospitality and that sense of there are greater things, more important things in our day than efficiency. Mm -hmm. There are more important things in our day than getting just going about going about our tasks and being concerned about ourselves and what what we're finishing. And I think in a very real way, when we think about our priorities and include uh, service to others and service to our community members and members of our future community, I mean, that's just so significant. And that's the day that I really learned what Notre Dame was about, mm. was in that. And throughout that entire weekend, I think I just came to know uh, more and more what exactly this campus is. Yeah. It's more than a campus. It's a community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's for sure. It reminds me of the Good Samaritan, not that you were <laughs> yeah. you know, t- t- discarded along the road or attacked by robbers. Oh, my but gosh, but I was definitely lost. That, yeah, yeah. And the fact that he <laughs> you know, went that extra mile to, to show you that. It was a great uh, example of of the community that you that you hope to find here and hope to cultivate here. Have there been other moments like that as you have been here on campus that have really marked your development as a person, challenged you to be a better version of yourself have you, as you've encountered other members of the community? Yeah, definitely. So I would say one person that comes to mind immediately is Father Joe Capora. He's just a fantastic priest and a fantastic minister of God's mercy. And so I met Father Joe when I was a freshman on campus, and I was going to the Dylan Milkshake Mass, uh, Dylan Hall Milkshake Mass, and helping out with music there. I would sing in the choir some, and then eventually I started accompanying a mass here and there for Dylan Hall at Milkshake Mass. And Father Joe uh, just struck me immediately as having such a pleasant countenance he really takes his time when he's talking to you to make sure to make sure that he's understanding what you're saying and that he's developing a clear picture not only of who you are but of what you do and of what you care about and what you love i think that when i think of father joe i think the uh, a good way to describe uh, the way in which he shows god's mercy here is that he is so ready to embrace whatever fills you and just help you to do that more and more. And so uh, a couple years ago, towards the end of my sophomore year, Father Joe asked me to become the primary uh, head of the choir, the Milkshake Mass Choir and Band. And of course I said yes. At that point I was ministering to my hall community in Zam. But the Milkshake Mass community is definitely one that has surprised me and amazed me over the years. You know, we pack in 200, 300 people into Dylan Hall's chapel every Thursday. And at first, we can joke around and say, yeah, they're there for the milkshakes or (laughs) uh, whatever, maybe the music or whatever it happens to be. But I've come to realize that that Thursday night is a super important time of rededication in Mm. the life of a student. I'm going to explain that a little bit because that may sound weird. You know, a lot of parishes, regular parishes, don't necessarily push Thursday nights as a big thing. But for a lot of students on campus, Fridays are a lighter 
class load. And Fridays are also a little bit of a calmer day. And uh, Friday evenings often have dances, whether that's SYRs or formals, and uh, there are different concerts and all kinds of busy things happening on Friday nights. Uh, And Saturday nights can be that way too. But Thursday nights, there's an interesting calm, just a calm about campus. And I think it's the realization that we're coming to the end of the week. It's the last evening before the weekend begins. And Milkshake Mass rests on the threshold between the busyness of the week and the different tenor of the weekend. And Milkshake Mass, I think of it as the beginning of my weekend. And of course, I close out Mass uh, oftentimes in my dorm community in Zom House at 10 p.m., but I open my weekend at Dillon Hall on Thursdays at 10 p.m. And the way in which the way in which the community gathers together there, the sign of peace is unlike anything I've ever seen mm-hmm. in that just how friendly people are and how how much people genuinely care about spreading the sign of peace. And the sign of peace often looks like a hug, sometimes involves a tear or two, especially after all the folks from abroad come back. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a particularly significant one. Or at the at the end of the year when the seniors, it's their last milkshake mass. I've witnessed three of those. And of course, I'll be coming up on my last one. But yeah, I would just say that Father Joe has cultivated a community there that really wants to be together and wants to celebrate Thursdays as a significant point in time in the life of the student. And I think there's a certain beauty to sanctifying time in that way. There are, of course, a lot of church feasts that come around at different points in the year. But sanctifying Thursday nights just for the sake of it being a Thursday night and an opportunity to gather together and for that to be enough is just beautiful. Mm. It's absolutely beautiful. And so I think that that's part of Father Joe Kapoor's ministry. Just the way in which he's helped me to understand uh, where I come from and who I am is just so significant to me. Mm. He means the world to me. Yeah, it's wonderful to have those people in our lives. You mentioned English and political science. Yeah. So great majors. Yeah. Tell me about that and what <laughs> impact those have had on your time here. Yeah, definitely. So I actually came in as a math major. That's going to sound surprising to anyone who knows me because they <laughs> all know that I don't particularly love math. I entered as a math major because I decided I wanted to give the College of Science thing a try. Simply because, and in very good advising with uh, different people before I came to Notre Dame, I realized it's better off to start College of Science and then become arts and letters if if that's that's easier right. just because of certain courses that you would need to take for a semester freshman year. So I came in and I had I was taking Gen Chem and I was taking Calc 2 and I was taking physics and all of those things and I always tell people I lasted as a math major for 2 days <laughs> and the reason for that was because I didn't have math on the first day. So <laughs> yeah, good. and I so like I went to my first class which was from 2 to 250. I remember it very well in Hayes Healy. And, you know, it was it was fine for a math class, but I just realized this is not what's going to give me life sure. throughout, throughout the college process. And I think time and again, folks have reiterated, like, the importance of doing something that you love. But I think I just really hadn't realized what that was going to look like or what that even necessarily entailed 
until getting to Notre Dame and talking with people. And one of the most significant people in my lives at that point was Dr. Aaron Lemro, who was my first year advisor. And so my math class got out at 2.50. I remember I was in the first year of studies office by 3 o'clock, like <laughs> hightailed it out of there and went in and I said, Dr. Lemro, I cannot do this. I need to change majors. I thought it was very, very... I thought it was very, very significant. Um, Freshman Joe thought that changing majors was something that was relatively hard to do. And yeah, something that was a big, huge task. But looking back on it, I had nothing to fear because Dr. Lemro said, Joe, this is going to be fine. We're going to find you a major that fits better than math. And so we started talking through different options. And I actually met with my first year advisor, I think more times than any of my friends met with their first year advisors. They met like a couple times and they were set. I must have met with Dr. Lemro at least eight or 10 times. Hmm. And it was amazing to me that she took the time to really walk through all these different options. I ended up signing up for two one credit courses. One was on current events. We read the newspaper and we would just talk about talk about what was happening in the world uh, with a specific specific view towards political science and how that factored in as well. And then the other one credit that I took was giving back through education, which you'll hear later on was actually super significant for me. But that's where I first realized that I uh, wanted to become a political science major was that I noticed how significant the events in our world are. And, you know, operating in the world of theory is all fine and dandy for a while, but eventually you got to step outside of the library, take a look around you, figure out what's happening, and figure out how you can influence or make a difference. And I think that the political science major for me has just meant being able to take inventory of what's happening and asking how can we get to solutions? How can we actually move towards solutions? They may not be philosophically perfect. They may not be theoretically perfect, But we need to figure things out because uh, we live in a broken world. And I think that political, the political science major has just taught me to think analytically that way. In terms of the English major, I have to talk about a very, very significant person in my life, which is uh, my high school AP English teacher, Ms. Ryan. Uh, Ms. Ryan and I go way back uh, (laughs) all the way to freshman year of high school. I remember at Lansing Catholic, during one of those early weeks, I was walking down the hallway, and uh, I had thought about joining the high school quiz bowl team, which Ms. Ryan was a proctor of. She just taught AP Lit, and then she did the quiz bowl team after school. And the handbook said that only sophomores through seniors could participate. Mm -hmm. But when I met Ms. Ryan, I asked her if that was a problem, and she said, definitely not. I want you to be part of this. Mm-hmm. And I think that that really stuck with me. That idea that, that a teacher would be willing to take me on, especially as a freshman who compared to the other members of the quiz bowl team knew significantly less than they did. <laughs> um, part of that is because it was academic quiz bowl. And so as you, as you go through the years in high school, you start to amass a greater knowledge of knowledge base of literature, sure. math. You, you become more capable in the context of uh, the setting. But Ms. Ryan, I always uh, like to tell people that if I were a 72-year-old woman, I would be her. She's <laughs> like, she is so, we are have so much in common. We right. love literature. And she just taught me that literature can come alive. Mm-hmm. The words that we write down on a page can actually have great, great significance. And if we look back over the course of history, this is absolutely true. I mean, thinking all the way back to the times of Greece and Rome when the plays were the primary means by which ideas were communicated to the people. And all the way up until the founding of our own nation in which a bunch of people decided they didn't like British rule 
And so they decided we're going to write this down Mm -hmm. and we're going to write a declaration of independence Mm -hmm. that affirms our rights. Writing is so significant. Uh, The written word has so much power. And so I think that Ms. Ryan really taught me, she really taught me how powerful writing is Mm -hmm. and encouraged me to take up my own writing. Writing about other texts, because that's super important, but also creatively writing my my own works and encouraging me in that. And so coming to Notre Dame, I realized I've got to be an English major right. because I talked with uh, a professor, Laura Betts, who's in charge of, who's the head of the English department. And just talking with her, I got a very similar feeling about, you know, the words on the page have such a significance. These are ideas that we're talking about. They're dynamic. And the readers are charged with a very important task of uh, not only absorbing these ideas, but engaging with them mm-hmm. and remaking them anew. Mm-hmm in our world today and from a faith perspective right yeah our from guide a faith perspective, is a book oh my gosh <laughs> you know, it's literally a book um <laughs> lots of books all together that that guide us yeah yeah sure. and change our lives right and of course learning that the bible has a historical basing not only that is part of it but is a significant part of it i think that was a big part of uh the pilgrimage that i made to the holy land this past mm-hmm. spring break which was so phenomenal is that we we walked in the places where jesus walked I think a particularly significant moment for me was uh, sitting on the steps of the the old southern steps that went up to the Temple Mount and just looking out on the city of old Jerusalem and thinking these were uh, th- that set of steps was the primary set of steps through which pilgrims to Jerusalem 2100 years ago would go to the temple and worship mm. and then leave and thinking wow Jesus came here to worship yeah and now I'm here what does this mean for me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just very profound. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. It makes the Bible <laughs> come to life. Makes it come sure. to life, yeah, yeah. Definitely would recommend. You mentioned that you're working in campus ministry this year. I am, So yes. explain to our listeners what that is and how that's impacted you in your ministry this year. Yeah, definitely. So I'm a senior anchor intern with campus ministry, and my specific area of ministry is liturgy. And so... What that means is that my ministry uh, takes a very different look than I was accustomed to it. Uh, Up until this point on campus, most of my ministry entailed uh, accompanying masses in a couple of the different residence halls. Mm -hmm. But now my position kind of shifts my my area of ministry so that I'm collaborating with those individuals who are charged with this important task of ministering to their hall communities. And that includes musicians. That includes sacristans. That includes lectors, uh, Eucharistic ministers, all of these different folks, the people who are uh, in charge of making our liturgy happen. Those are the folks that I'm in, uh, th- uh, that I'm charged with ministering to. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's just been a phenomenal process. I've just really come to realize how important it is that we actively minister to our ministers. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to ask ourselves, how are they being filled? How are they, how are they being encouraged to grow in their faith? And how are they being invited to integrate their personal faith life into the work that they do? You know, I think that it's just such important work. And I've been so blessed to embark on this journey with uh, Allie Green, who is absolutely phenomenal. She is uh, my supervisor. And just walking with her through the process of thinking through how we put on a retreat for these different ministers Mm -hmm. in order to really form them both uh, spiritually and logistically to fulfill this task that we set in front of them. So we started off the year 
in April with a liturgical leaders formation retreat in which we invited back the liturgical ministers from the different residence halls. And we just really wanted to gather the group together so that they could really coalesce, so that they could really get to know each other and get to know their their personal stories. Because if uh, ministers in the individual halls know each other and can feel comfortable working with each other and mm-hmm. collaborating, that makes our campus community more dynamic. Makes it so that instead of having 30 siloed off masses that are happening each Sunday, we actually have 30 liturgies that are being worked on by individuals who are collaborating with one another as part of a dynamic community. Mm-hmm. And wa- walking with that community throughout this year has been absolutely phenomenal. They've taught me so much. They've taught me that Oftentimes, the most significant part of ministry is listening. They've taught me that though every single residence hall has its own its own challenges and its own blessings, the goal is the same in every single one, and sure. that's to develop a community that really uh, guides folks towards Christ. Yeah. I think it's an important point that you make about ministering to ministers as we think about priests in our parishes, as we think about the religious sisters and brothers who are part of other ministries in the church, as we think about our fellow lay people who are in in all kinds of volunteer roles, that you can't give what you don't have. And a minister who's in some ways an empty vessel it's a struggle, and, and that people will pick up on that. And some of the depth of who that person is will be lost just because he or she is is empty right now. So I think it, what, what you're saying there is really important that we that we care for the people who we see up there or we see out there doing these roles so that they can continue to remember the reasons why they got into this in the first place. Right. That's a theme that I've been thinking about a lot recently is how we minister to those who to those who minister. And I think that it's super important looking back on my own life. I remember there was a very significant shift in my faith life that happened around sophomore year of high school. And that was just after I had been given the duty of becoming the director of the Praise and Worship Band at my parish. And I realized that the the initial thrill of getting to accompany and getting to play piano at Mass was starting to wear off after a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And I really had to stop and ask myself, wow, what am I doing this for? Because whatever area of ministry you're in, of course, every single ministry, every single liturgy is absolutely beautiful, but eventually it becomes rote. Mm. Eventually it isn't as, it doesn't have the freshness and newness uh, that it may have originally had. And so I think those are the moments in which we're asked to reevaluate. And I just remember very distinctively, I came to the conclusion that I needed to, I needed to connect my prayer life to my accompanying Mm. and find some parallels there, figure out how exactly my ministering was actively supporting my community, figure out the ways in which what the church says about, and the church is a wonderful resource in this area. The church has written, issued a lot of different documents that pertain to musicians and liturgy. And so I think that period of soul searching really resulted in uh, me realizing the call to minister 
which I really do believe every single person has. It's just a question of how. And of course, some of these ways, these calls to ministry are institutionalized within our within our parish communities. So sure. like for musicians, it's a very, very direct, very visible way of ministering or for lectors or for Eucharistic ministers greeters. These are very specific ministries within the context of a parish, but this is something that I would encourage everyone who's listening to to consider. There are so many additional ways that we're called to minister, whether that's through being hospitable to the different people who form our parish communities, or whether that's through a call to prayer in terms of like very a very real calling to pray one-on-one with someone else hmm. in our community. I think that's something that's something that I realized over a time when I served, uh, I took a summer to serve with uh, Life Teen Ministries in the mountains of Georgia at one of their summer camps, uh, Camp Hidden Lake. And while I was there, one of the most significant takeaways I had is oftentimes I find myself in my own daily life telling someone, oh, I'll pray for you. Mm -hmm. But what stops us from praying with that person then and now? Mm-hmm. When we hear something from someone, when we hear that someone's lost a family member, when we hear that someone is going through a hardship, uh, when we hear that someone has just had something amazing happen in their life that they're so grateful for, what makes us say, we'll pray for you later, instead of taking the opportunity to involve a ministry of presence and a ministry of communal prayer right in that moment mm-hmm. to God? And I think that that's something that I've really challenged myself in and continue to challenge myself with is you know, asking myself at the end of the day, Joe, who did you pray with today? Mm. Not just pray for, who did you pray with? Yeah. And I think that that's a significant change in perspective that mm. just, it's had an amazing effect on me. What have been some of the reactions to people when you offer to pray with them? Oftentimes it comes as surprising. <laughs> um, of course, in the context in which I uh, first began this at a Life Team Camp Hidden Lake, uh, that was a very particular setting in which, of course, all of the different parish parishes, the youth groups that were coming there, they knew that they were coming for a week where faith could permeate and did permeate every single moment of the day. Mm -hmm. So there it was incredibly natural. I think in our daily lives, it comes across as less natural to Mm -hmm. people. And I think that that's actually a sign of our culture and a sign of our times that we really don't necessarily think of faith as being integrated and permeating throughout every single aspect of our day. Mm -hmm. And so I think that offering to pray with someone else really invites them to think about their day in that way and conceive of every single moment as an opportunity for prayer and prayer conceived of as broadly, but also uh, specifically. I I think a lot of folks are surprised. Mm -hmm. Some people are really grateful. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's always something beautiful to see. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes, still to this day, I'm surprised when the urge to say, can I pray with you mm-hmm. Com- comes out of my mouth. Like mm-hmm. sometimes I think to myself, wow, that was kind of you know, almost as if it was inspired by, by the Holy Spirit or something almost subconsciously. Some part of me knew that that needed to be said, even if, even if I didn't necessarily form the thought as specifically as I had thought of. Sure. But yeah, I would say, I would say overall, it's just had an amazing effect on me and I hope on those that I've prayed with as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it did. So the million-dollar question for any senior yeah, definitely. <laughs> what's next for you as far as you know? Yeah, I'm so lucky to be able to say this, but I will be, I will be serving with ACE, the Alliance for Catholic Education. Next year, I will be teaching high school English at an all-boys Catholic high school in New Orleans, Louisiana, Archbishop Shaw. 
high school, uh, for those of you who might know it. And I'm just super stoked, super excited. Mm-hmm. I've really felt the call to teach for a long time. I think looking back over my life, a very accurate description of it would be that throughout all of these different moments, there have been critical junctures where significant, where people have given me the opportunity to lead and the opportunity to teach. And I've taken those moments and they've formed me significantly. I think that teaching is one of the ways in which I've always ministered, looking back over my life, even to my younger siblings in the very, very early days when I would do school time, which they occasionally (laughs) liked and occasionally did not like, kind of dependent on the day. But that was that was just like I got to come up with lesson plans and cool stuff like that. And then gradually working through the theater program that I founded, mm-hmm. working through the praise and worship ensemble at my parish community that I eventually directed, and looking through all the different ways at Notre Dame that I've been involved, I just see my life as crescendoing to this moment. Mm-hmm. That teaching has just permeated it. And I am so ready to be taught how to teach in the Mm -hmm. classroom Mm -hmm. with ACE. Mm -hmm. I really am looking forward to already praying for my students. Super important to do that. And I think also I'm I'm ready for it. Mm -hmm. I'm ready. The undergraduate experience at Notre Dame is unlike anything else that I think, anything else that's describable. But it's definitely time for me to take that experience and start, I'll still be at Notre Dame during the summer, but to step to the front of the classroom in the fall. Mm -hmm. As you look back on your time at Notre Dame, what is the gift of this place to you? Wow, that's a really great question. (laughs) Um, There are so many things. I would say one of the greatest gifts of Notre Dame is that Notre Dame invites, actively invites initiative. And what I mean by that is that if you really are passionate about something, the people here are going to find a way to make that happen. I even think back to my early conversations with my first-year advisor, Dr. Lemro, and the second course that I mentioned taking, Giving Back Through Education. She suggested that course because we were talking, and she asked, like, what what are you passionate about? And I realized I'm passionate about education. Mm -hmm. Education has been so important to me, so important to my family up until this point. For both of my parents who didn't didn't finish four-year university, it was just they knew that education was so important. And I think that they passed that on to me. Mm. And so when I got here, just being able to say that, and then I got involved. And she showed me the way to get involved. I took a wonderful class here called Education Policy, which I, I became very passionate about. And I really, I think that it's important to ask ourselves how we're giving our students in our different schools access to education. Mm-hmm. And I was blessed to work this year with with ACE on campus as a student intern researcher for their program for educational access, in which we really look at how students are able to go to school and how states are making that available, the option of choosing one's educational path available to students. So again, a case of something that I was super passionate about that I was able to get involved in. And through numerous other campus clubs and campus initiatives, I've been so blessed to take the skills that I've developed over time and apply them I think even down to directing. This semester mm-hmm. I'm directing a Midsummer Night's Dream on nice. campus, which is just phenomenal with the Shakespeare group on campus. But that's a way in which I've been able to take my skill of directing and apply it here. Mm-hmm. So I've just been so blessed. Yeah, it's a place where you can truly flourish for sure. And it sounds like you've been able to do that. 
obviously the name of this podcast is Everyday Holiness, and yeah. so we are interested in the topic of holiness. How would you say that you have tried to pursue holiness in your life? Yeah, so I think pursuing holiness uh, involves a lot of trust. It involves a lot of trust that what you're doing is orienting yourself and others towards God. And so I think the most important thing that I've done here for myself is surrounding myself with many friends who care about their call to holiness as well. Mm. Holiness is always pursued best within the context of a community. And I just cannot be grateful enough for the people here who have been a part of my everyday life for some of them for a very, very long time. And just the way in which accompanying someone else on their journey to holiness brings, I think it really does bring you closer to holiness yourself. You start to see, you start to see the ways in which God works in your daily life. And I think walking around this campus, it's very easy oftentimes to see that. It's just such a beautiful place, oftentimes able to catch a moment of silence. And so I think in reflecting and in being with those people, it's just been so significant and so important to me. I think of one person in particular, my friend Matt Heater, and Matt's from Lansing, Michigan as well. He and I went to high school together, and so we've been going to school together for eight years, and he's doing ACE as well, so <laughs> about to make it a decade. Yeah. But he and I get breakfast on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And I just think that having, having that time, that time to really talk and reconnect with someone who is just as dedicated to living out the call to holiness as I am. It's really profound because I notice that in our conversations, experiences, you know, when yes, how was your weekend? You know, things like a particular dance or a performance can come up, but so can the liturgy mm -hmm. and so can the ways in which God has worked and continues to work in our lives. And I think that that's super profound. I think that in talking about our faith experiences and where we see God in our lives, we get better at recognizing them. Mm. So I think that's probably the most significant way in which Notre Dame has contributed. And that's just one relationship among many, many relationships with peers and also with advisors mm -hmm. and also with uh, faculty that I really look up to and priests like Father Joe Capora who really pour themselves out for the good of everyone here. Yeah, it's remarkable to me how many people that you've named as we've been talking. Just as you go along the way, it's clear that their faces and their stories come to you. And a phrase that you've used is, they took the time. They took the time yeah. with me. And, and it's something that in our technologically rushed, busy society, we don't always take the time for one another. And it seems like it's this community of witnesses who has taken the time with you has really inspired you to be a person to take the time with other people. Oh, absolutely. I would definitely say so. And I would say that they're so, they're so vibrant in my life. And I think that that's a really a really important thing to recognize, to recognize those who have played a large part in forming, in giving me the formation to become who I am today. You know, I found out about ACE just, just recently. And so, you know, when I found out I had to call, I had to call, of course, my parents, of course, let them know <laughs> that would have been bad if I didn't call them, but also call Kate Kent and tell her and just to see, to, to know that her face was lighting up on the other side of the telephone mm -hmm. as we talked. And as she talked about how, 
how perfect she thought it was. And, and of course, since we're musical friends and talking in those way, in those terms, she talked about, Oh my gosh, like new Orleans jazz, it's going to be great, <laughs> which is awesome. And then of course, calling Ms. Ryan who taught high school English, mm-hmm. which is exactly what I'm going on to do mm-hmm. and realizing just how closely our lives have mirrored one another in a beautiful way. And the, opportunities of course she said you know as soon as you're back in Lansing which will not be until after graduation but that's perfectly fine (laughs) we've got to sit down and have coffee and talk yeah just just knowing that those people and of course having breakfast with Matt regularly on Tuesdays and Thursdays these are people that I love and people that have loved me so so amazingly Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well Joe I want to thank you for taking the time to share your story with our audience it's very inspiring, and I'm sure a lot of people will be praying for you as you take the next step in your journey and your chapter in life. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dan. I appreciate it. All right. That concludes this episode of Everyday Holiness, a Faith in D podcast. As a reminder, if you don't already subscribe to our daily gospel reflection, you can do so at faith.nd.edu slash sign up. There, in addition to receiving the Daily Gospel Reflections, you'll also receive notifications of new episodes of this podcast. I want to thank you for being with us, and we hope to have you with us next time. 